uh, exciting to see how many tap in Sunday around one or two to hear the message on podcast. But we want to greet you and say hello. Our thought this morning, just for a few minutes, is going to be entitled or focused on the next generation, the next generation. I believe that we are living in a prophetic season. I believe there are things that have happened in our generation that has not happened in any other. As we look at electricity, the cell phone, the computer, walking on the moon, there are things that this generation has accomplished that no other generation. In in Matthew 24 and 14, you don't have to go there, but it makes this statement, this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. A literally prophetic word where the Bible says the temple was going to be destroyed. There's going to be plagues, wars, famines, earthquakes. Many will lose their love. But the very last clue to the second coming of the Lord is the gospel being preached into all the world. And because of Daystar satellite and TBN satellite and God TV satellite right now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached into every single country of the world. I believe there are 183 countries. So that prophecy has come to pass. The Bible says that when the two witnesses are murdered by the Antichrist, their bodies will be seen by the world. That could not have happened 100 years ago, but it can happen now because prophetically these things have come to pass. Our thought this morning, if you'll go with me to Psalm 102, verse 18, simply says, this shall be written for a generation to come, and the people that shall be created shall praise me. This shall be written for a generation to come. I have some glasses here somewhere, Pastor. Oh, here they are. This shall be written, the logos, for a generation to come prophetically, that a generation shall be created, and this, this generation shall do one thing and one thing only, and that is to praise the Lord. What I like about Harvest and some of the churches of the nation, they have focused in on the importance of praise and worship. We know that praise is horizontal. As two or three begin to gather in his name and begin to brag on him one to another, that's a vertical line. And then something shifts in our praise and we, we, we actually go into another gear, another level, another dimension. And that's the dimension called worship. Worship is vertical. Horizontal brings us in the right place where we need to be. Vertical takes us to God. And if you look at the horizontal and the vertical, there you see the cross. And Paul said, I glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. It, the cross is the common denominator. It's what you and I all have in common. I like that song that says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the birds of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Are you happy this morning that you've been to the cross, you've been to the river, you've been baptized, you've been washed in the blood of the lamb? Zachariah said, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from evangel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That's the common denominator. That's what makes us brothers and sisters. We all have the same DNA. How exciting is that? Whatever tongue or kindred or culture or generation, whether you're old or whether you're young or whether you're young, you think you're old or you're old and you think you're young. We have all been to the cross and the shadow of the cross. There we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Yesterday, it was important for me to produce a lease contract. I needed two copies and uh, Courtney was with the baby and I could not get access to the church copier printer, all of that. 
So I took an old contract that I had, and I went to the uh, Staples, and I bought a little jar of liquid paper, and what was on the old contract, I, I blotted all that out and blew it and dried it. Then I gave them that, that contract and had them make me a couple of copies, a couple for later on in the week. And as I, was, as I was using that old contract to make a new contract, I began to reflect on the goodness and the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus, that regardless of the mistakes that we've made, regardless of our failures, our hurts, our pains, our disappointments, the blood of Jesus applied to our life washes away our iniquities, washes away our mistakes, washes away our failures, and gives us literally a clean slate. How many of you do not know what the term clean slate means? That means you erase all the old and you start all over again. And if you mess up, you, you start all over again. It's like that little toy we had as a child where you would take a mark and you would mark and then you would lift up the plastic. Remember that? And everything, that, the echo, echo, say it for me. Yes, that too. Say that fast three time where you would create different things and then you would, then you would shake it and all that would be gone, and then you could start all over again. I believe this morning God just wants to give some of us a shaking. Can anybody say, I'm, 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 up, to a, I'm up to a shaking. I'm up to God doing some great, wonderful things in my life. As we look prophetically at this generation, which shall be created, I thought God, God was done creating on the seventh, sixth day, the seventh day he rested. But here David gives us a revelation that there's going to be a generation created and this generation is going to praise and worship God. If you'll go with me to Matthew, the first chapter, I want to bring attention to a verse. And I remember many, many, many times as a child, later as a young man, later as a pastor, my New Year's resolution would be to read the Bible cover to cover. Can anybody relate? I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover. And because the Old Testament I thought was boring, hello, although it's not boring at all. Everything that you would see at the cinema is in the book of Genesis. I'm telling you, it's a wild and crazy when you look at all what, what happened, what transpired, what all God forgave, all the stuff man thought up without MTV. But I, I just ignored the book, the Old Testament, and I went straight to the meat, straight to the New Testament. I got there to the book of Matthew and I begin to read, and then I begin to realize that people in the New Testament really didn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, creative power because the names they gave some of their kids is obnoxious. Have you looked at Matthew, the first chapter, and, and looked at words like Boaz and Obed and, and Roboam and uh, Jehoshaphat and Oziahs and Eliezekielias and Mananias and and Jokaniah, and, and it gets worse. And then it goes into Salathiel, and Zorobabel, and Azor, and Zidok. I mean, hello, Zidok is something you would call a hamster. You know, Zidok, what kind of... So, you know, I, I skipped the first chapter of Matthew and got right into the meat where, where Joseph gets, has a dream, angel tells him Mary's going to have a child, going to call him Jesus, and that was all the, the good part of the, of, of the word, I thought. But a little later in life... As I begin to research this word generation, if you know anything about a generator, a generator usually generates power. A generation is something about you generating something else. Pastor Ron and I have had the ability to generate two beautiful daughters. They came from our loins. We generated them. They're from our loins. And as we begin to look at the 
generation of Christ, we notice that Matthew is going to start with Abraham because that was the foundation of the Jewish nation. And if you'll notice the very first verse of Matthew 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we see three generations. We see the generation of David, the generation of Abraham, and the generation of Christ. So here we have a legacy or a biography of the greatest man that ever lived, died, and rose from the grave. We have his legacy. We have his generation. And so what will happen from Abraham to David, they'll begin to list the generations that Abraham generated, and there will be 14. And as you look at the generation of David to the carrying away of Babylon, at those generations, we find that there are 14. And from the generation from the carrying away of Babylon unto Christ, if you'll notice verse 17, now all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the carrying away of Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away unto Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. If you'll, if you'll just confirm that this morning, you'll, you will see Three fourteens. Is that accurate? Three fourteens. And we know that we're living in 2014. We know that 14 is the number of double honor, double blessing, double favor, double God. I mean, you like that, that promise? That's what, that's what the word 14 means. It's the number of generation. It means that in 2014, we're going to generate something. We did not generate 2013. In 2013, all I generated was tears. And I'm so glad that God had collected them and put them in a bottle and he's going to pour them out in the great tribulation for there'll be no church to weep over the tragedies that's going to fall upon this earth. But as I look at the number 14, I look at the generations, look at all the things we're supposed to generate, just for the fun of it, I took a pencil and a piece of paper and I wrote down from Abraham to Jesus the generations. 17th chapter tells me there should be 14 and 14 is how much? And 14 more. 42, not a trick question, say it out, 42. And we know as God has a book entitled the book of Numbers, God is the one that sequences numbers to important things, popular things, or things that we need to learn and we need to realize. The number 42 is a special number in the kingdom because six is the number of man, which represents us. Seven is the number of God, which represents God. Six times seven is 42. Everybody say 42, that's the right answer. 42. So we see there's something significant about the number 42. God is a God of multiplication. God will take what we sow, double it, 10, 7, 30, 100 fold. Aren't you glad that God adds and multiplies, does not take away, that he is a good God? So we see, Robbie, there are supposed to be 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. But if you will write them out on paper, you will find much to your chagrin, there is not 42 there's only 41. But the Bible says there's 42. So what's, what's, what's wrong with this picture? There is a missing generation. There's a generation that Psalms 102 verse 18 says will be created. Let me tell you about creation. We know that God formed the earth and restored the earth. And we know on the sixth day that God got down on his knees the Bible says there was a dew that came up from the earth to water the earth. So, Steve, we see God on his hands and knees playing in the mud. You wonder why your kids love to eat dirt. You wonder why your kids love to just get out and just stomp around and be muddy. It's a God thing. God did it there in Genesis, the first chapter. And as God began to take this mud or this clay and begin to form and he began to shape, Lucifer was there in the garden asking God, God, what are you up to? 
And as Lucifer looked at what God was doing, much to his chagrin, he realized that what God was creating or forming or shaping was something that looked a lot like Jesus, the preexistent word. And as Lucifer got all, all uptight and got all frustrated, he said, God, I want to know what are you making? And God, without even breaking a, breaking a beak, staying right on it, simply said, your replacement. Your replacement. God said, I am creating your replacement. So go here with me. There is water. There is dirt. There is mud. And the Bible says that God breathed in man's nostrils the gift of life, which is the DNA of God. So notice, if you will, how, how man was created. He was created from mud, dew, and the DNA of God. And when God made man, he let man walk around for a while, let him realize that everything had a companion. For every dude, there was a dudette. For every male, there was a female. For every guy, there was a girl. And, say, and Adam began to realize Where's my companion? Where's, where's, where's my helpmate? So God allowed Adam to go to sleep because he didn't want Adam's input because if man would have made woman, he'd have probably messed all up, probably tried to have some kind of penthouse playboy bunny. And that's not what God wanted for us to have. Hello, don't get quiet on me now. God, wanted, God knew what we needed. God knew what he was making. But Adam, he cut him, took the rib. The Hebrew says the womb, took the rib from Adam, and there he made woman. See, Man was created from spiders and snails and puppy dog tails, but woman was made with sugar and spice and everything nice. And what was so cool that every time that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the evening and they went, there were two rivers in the Garden of Eden, when they went to the river and they began to look at their reflection, Adam noticed every time he went to bathe or splash water on his face, he noticed that right here in the rib area, there was a scar. And that scar reminded Adam that God was so good to him that he created Eve just for him. And what is much, very ironic, the first marriage lasted about 940 years. Hello, you talk about longevity. You talk about growing old together. So what God brings together, let no man put asunder. God knows what he's doing. So Adam had a scar on him that God gave him where he created that woman. But at the cross, watch this, at the cross as the blood fell from the face and the body of Jesus and hit the dirt of Calvary, the Bible said there was a storm, there was a dew, there was water, there was dirt. And as the DNA of Christ began to hit the dirt of Calvary, a church was born, a church was blessed. And today when Jesus walks the streets of gold and sees his reflection, he sees a scar that reminds him that he has created a bride with the DNA of God. And one day he's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to say one word. The dead in Christ are going to rise, resurrect. We're going to meet the Lord in the air and there shall we ever be with the Lord. Does that excite anybody in this house? We realize that in the book of Isaiah, he's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He's also called the Everlasting Father, but Jesus never married. He never had a bride. He never birthed any children. May I tell you what 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, which in times past were not, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. With that scripture, Austin, I want to bring it to you that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to praise him. You want to know the good news this morning? 
The church represents from the loins of Christ the last generation, the missing generation, the generation that was created to praise and worship God. We're a generation unlike any other. Today, throughout the world, millions of churches will gather, and most of those churches will have a song or two or a hymn or two or, or a psalm of a spiritual song, and they will praise and worship God. We are that singing generation. We are that... Can anybody relate? I'm so glad that he reached down in the muck and mire of sin, picked me out, washed me with his blood, set me on a rock, put a new song in my mouth, gave me hope, gave me direction, gave me purpose, gave me the ability to change the life that I had lived into accepting a better thing that he had for me. Look at somebody and say, choice, choice. Chance, chance, and change. change. Say it again, choice, choice. chance, chance, change. Why the Indians say, me know how, me just want a chance? Never mind. God is going to bring us to a place where with knowledge and wisdom, we have the ability to make a choice. Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A decision was made. Joshua had a chance. He made the decision. Most of you know the story. The earth opened up, swallowed the enemy of God. Joshua went on to lead God's people into the promised land. I believe every one of us have that Joshua mentality. When Joshua got ready to do what God called him to do, he was terrified. But the Bible says that there was an angel that stood by him and told him not to be afraid, but to pursue the word of God, that in pursuing the word of God, he would be prosperous and he would be successful. And he accepted that challenge. As we're challenging you to memorize the word, as we're challenging you to come to Bible studies, as we're challenging you to read books that will bless you, that will encourage you, you're going to get the information you need to become what you need to be. I believe God will give you a chance to do that, and I believe there will be a change in your life. Can anybody relate? Are you excited this morning that he's not just the God of a second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the seventh chance, the seventh chance? He's the God of the 70 times seven chance. Every day he gives us, us those opportunities to make things right. As we look at the number 14, I just, in reflection, I just, uh, getting ready to celebrate March 1st, we will celebrate 24 years as a fellowship here in the city. In the past 24 years, we've had some of, the, some of the greatest ministers, some of the greatest ministries here have partnered with us. We've seen some incredible things. We've had a chainsaw. We've had a boat. We've had a tree. We've had a tree stand. There's nothing new under the sun. Four-wheelers, Harley-Davidson's. I mean, we have, we have seen funerals where over 30 gave their heart to the Lord. Most of them were cultic, and they turned their heart over to Christ. It's been a very interesting journey. Easter Sunday night, I will celebrate 34 years of full-time ministry. February 1st, I will celebrate 35 years of being clean. I am proof that you can get off drugs and you can find something better in your life. The song says, don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found a place to pray, there's been a change in me. I found a better. Aren't you glad there is a better way, a better path, a better journey? And I think that if we could take the one person in our life that frustrates us the most and take them up behind this building and just give them a good butt kicking. Wouldn't you like to do that? Most of us couldn't sit down for a week. Because we are the frustration. 
We are the brakes. We are the stop sign. We're the ones that stops before, before we receive what God wants. God told the king, strike the ground with your, with your staff. And he struck it three times. He said, why did you strike it three times? You need to strike it enough times to defeat the enemy. We're go- you're going to attack the enemy three times. You're going to recover, but your son will not. God is a God of consistency and a God of persistence. And as we look at 2014, get ready to go into 2014, we celebrate all the great uh, milestones this, this year of what God has said, what God has done. I just, I just put some notes together and some thoughts together, some of the things that, that I've seen over the past 35, 35 years of ministry. And the first thing on the top of my page simply says this. There is safety in a multitude of counsel. I think a lot of us have this syndrome of we're all alone. I think a lot of us have this syndrome of no one cares. I think a lot of us have the syndrome of everything's going against me. and I have have no way to see light of day. I'm I'm stuck in a rut, and here I am. Let me remind you, one of the greatest men, one of the greatest ministries in the Old Testament was Elijah. Elijah did great, phenomenal, incredible things, called down fire from heaven, unbelievable some of the miracles he performed. But let me remind you, Elijah found himself camped out by a stream in the shade of a gourd, and there he felt like, I'm the only one left. And God said, you're not the, I got 450 prophets in Israel, you're not the only one left. And I think a lot of times we fail to reach out and receive help and strength from others, but I believe again, where two or three are gathered in the power of agreement, I believe that God has the ability to push us all towards the place he wants us to be because there's someone there to help you. There's a Barnabas in your life. There's a, there's a spirit of encouragement. There's a spirit of giving. God has surrounded you with people in your life. And I think sometimes what is so difficult is we get our pat answers and we really don't open the door or get out of the box to let anybody touch us. I mean, we have pretty much the norm. How are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. And that's pretty much the height, width, and depth of quality conversation with people around us. How are you? I'm fine. You good. I'm good. Everything's good. Or you can get that super spiritual mode, you know, how are you? Oh, brother, I'm blessed. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going. I got the wealth of the nation. God. And, you know, you're driving a 71 Volkswagen. There's nothing wrong with a 71 Volkswagen, but obviously you're not all that blessed. I mean, we don't measure blessing by the car we drive. Aren't you glad we don't measure success by the car that we drive? But we have a tendency to straight arm. And I, there was a season when national football actually made it illegal straight arm, but now it's legal again. We have this tendency to keep others at a distance, and we really don't want anyone to get in because we've been hurt. Hey, we've all been hurt. It's all a part of life. I watched Pastor Rhonda give birth to two children. She went through great pain to bring those children in this life. Life is all a part of being hurt and recovering and being restored from that hurt. I remember Steve Brock shared several years ago when his son was horrifically killed right after church. The youth went to a a pizza hut. I, I, I preached at that church and saw the place on the highway where the asphalt had been melted, where his son had horribly died. And Pastor Rhonda, early in her life, had babysit both of Steve Brock's kids. That's how the Brock's and the, and the Giles's were real close family together. And I remember that Steve Brock told me, he made this statement. He said, I had to come to a place in my life where I either stayed bitter 
or got better. And that's your choice. That's 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 decision you make. You can let the past hurt and harm you, or you can learn from your mistakes and say, hopefully, I'll never do that again. How many can relate? I won't, I won't say that again. I won't buy that again. I won't eat that again. I won't drink that again. I won't go there again. I won't date her again. Hello. Hopefully, you learn from things of the past that it helps you in the future to make good, right decisions. So there's safety when you surround yourself. We have a plethora of books. We have a plethora of CDs. We have tapes. This, this generation is so blessed with knowledge. You can Google anything you want to Google. And it's important that you research and study and, and hear someone else's opinion before you form your own. Just a thought. The second thing I wrote down here is the wife is always right. The wife is, I'm telling you, in the past 33, 30 years of, of marriage, almost without exception, when Pastor Rana said, I don't feel good about that, or I don't think we should do that, or that's not the direction we need to go, or you shouldn't wear those tennis shoes with that suit jacket, I have learned pretty much 90% of the time the wife is always right. The Bible says that he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. And if you haven't found a wife yet, I, I recommend singles.com. I recommend Christian Mingle. I recommend you go out there. God has a wife or companion for you. Now, you can't get rid of your old wife. You've got to keep her around until you celebrate 63 years of marriage. Then you're pretty much on your own. Hello. The third thing that I jotted down here was understanding the power of the tithe. Tithing is not a suggestion or an idea, it's a commandment. It's a way for us to communicate in the area of trust. God has raised up throughout the nation, throughout the world, churches where people gather. Paul said on the first day of the week, he didn't say send or Google or email your tithe. He said, bring it to the house of God. Allow there to be something there when I come to minister. There's something about the, the power of, of, of coveting with God in the area of tithing, let me, let me tell you what God says about tithing, is that there is no area of your life that God cannot bless, can, cannot heal, and cannot minister. But when you don't tithe, you open a door. You ready for this? The devil went to God about Job. The devil can go to God about you. And here's what the devil can say. They're going to church, they're singing all the right songs, they're saying all the right scripture, but they're not tithing. God, watch this, what the devil does. Your word says, if they're not tithing, they're mine. How scary is that? I told you several months ago, I was going to tell you why our nation is in the trouble that it's in. And how many realize our nation, we really are in trouble. I mean, things really are desperate. When states like California go bankrupt, when states like Colorado legalize recreational marijuana, we realize that we are in trouble. But notice what we sowed when we came to this land. And I, I, I've, I've teased you, and I'm, I'm really not teasing, but I have forgiven your people for what they did to my people. I am one two sixty-fourth, which is probably about that much, Creek Indian. But when the settlers came to America and the Indians were here, what the settlers sowed was smallpox, alcohol, and gunpowder. Watch this, smallpox, alcohol, and gunpowder. As we look at our nation, our nation now from that sowing has reaped AIDS, school shootings, and drugs. 
The very thing that we sowed to the American Indian when we came to this, came to this land is the very thing now that we see several hundred years later we're reaping. When God says bring the first fruit or bring the tithe, the first fruit, for about 50 years now, the nation has had the ability for the first fruit to go to the government. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? You look at your check. You look at your check, there's a gross amount you're paid, but the very first line is F-I-C-A. It is the chunk that the government has taken out of your money for taxes and to operate, and hopefully at the end of the year, some of us get something back. Usually most of us have a tendency to pay. I believe this nation has a spirit of poverty because the government has robbed God of its tithe. That's why, Pastor Ron and I, we made a decision to tithe on the gross and not allow the enemy in any way to have an open door to try to hurt or harm us. I'm teaching a lot better than your amening. That's okay. Let's go on. It always gets quiet when you talk about money. I don't know why that is. Money, 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 money. Some people got to have it. Some people really need it. There you have it. Okay. The, the, the next thing that I want to uh, just share with you is the power of an offering. It's scary when you see what kind of doors will be open when you offer God an offering. An offering is not a commandment. It's just a suggestion. It's just something that you do out of the goodness of your heart. But Pastor Ron and I have in the past several years of marriage, we have literally watched, and it's kind of ironic how we will sow a seed and then we will see it brought back with some zeros added. Can anybody relate? I mean, can, can you respond? God has been so faithful and so good. I taught this body several years ago that I felt like there were seven millionaires that God was raising up in this house. And there are some in our life that is headed that way to become a millionaire. But God gave me a word. God gave me a thought. God said this to me. He said, if you'll add a zero to your giving, I'll add a zero to your income. So we tried to go from $10 offerings to $100. We added that zero. And through, the, and through the past several years, we've watched God's faithfulness. We've watched him over and over and over again add. He's not the God of division. He's not the God, God of subtraction. But he's the God that honors. The word says, he that lendeth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. I share with you on Wednesday night, 23 years of ministry, we have a friend at the UPS packing place. He's a great guy. Just took him some jerky and fudge. Uh, just a wonderful friend. He, he does all of our shipping, all of our overnight, all the stuff like that. He also operates the Greyhound there. Not once, not twice, but over 20 times in the past 10 years has he sent somebody from Greyhound to here. And they're all destitute. They're all desolate. They're all broke. They're all in trouble. And they've all got a story. I wish I would have joined. You talk about the dog eating the homework. I wish I would have journaled some of the stories I've heard in the past 24 years. And you know what? We've helped not dozens, but we've helped hundreds of people get to where they needed to be, put gas in their car, put a, put a transmission in their truck. Hundreds of people we have helped, not one time, 24 years, has anybody ever got to where they were going and sat down and wrote a check out or sent them money back? Not one time. Have we ever been paid back? But we've been paid back over and over and over again by God's faithfulness, God's mercy, and God's goodness. He is a good God, and he's a faithful God. And that offering has the ability to touch his heart. There are givers, there are takers, there are seeders, there are eaters. Some people eat their seed, others sow it. Some people take, others give. 
It's a choice, chance, change. It's your, it's your decision. And you know what? God does not want your rent money, your grocery money, your, 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 your house payment. He doesn't want any of that. He just wants to see that your heart is pure when you say, I bring this with no, with no, I don't expect to be paid back, but you can't give to God and not be paid back. Do I have an amen in the house? Can anybody to relate? I wrote down here, learn how to bind and loose. I personally believe that praise binds the enemy. Worship looses God's power. As you look at the Old Testament where it says, and they worship God or he worshiped God, it seemed like right after somebody worshiped, there was an outbreak in the heavens where God intervened spiritually, financially, morally. Every, every, every time you will read where someone in the Old Testament worshiped, the Bible says that Abraham fell flat on his face. I'll bet that hurt. <laughs> I never. It says he fell flat. So it says he fell flat. I, I, I'll bet that hurt. But he worshipped. And he, when he worshipped, God spared Sodom and Gomorrah or the, or, the, or the family in Sodom and Gomorrah. He is a God that honors the, the ability to bind. How do you bind the enemy? By not telling God about your enemy, but by telling your enemy about God. Devil, you are a liar. My God owns a cattle of a thousand hills. You're not going to affect my finances. You're not going to affect my family. You're not going to affect my friends, my future, my health. You are not. I bind you in the name of Jesus. And as you, as you put that to song, I love it when you put a bind to the song. We used to say, the devil is mad, and I am glad. The devil is mad, and I am glad. The devil is mad, and I am glad. Lost the soul that he thought he had. All my sins have washed away. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Filled the Holy Ghost I am. Now that was kind of serious. Obviously, it's important to me. But then I created my own verse. You ready? You give me wax for my board. You give me wax for my board. You give me wax for my board. I'll go surfing for the Lord. All my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. It's something about, something about salvation makes food taste better. Right. Kisses are sweeter. Hugs are more important. Things are more significant. You get out all the old Lassie Come Home movies and you cry like a baby. You get all your Henry Aldridge movies. Henry, Henry Aldridge. You get those out, you laugh. Abbott and Costello have new meaning. Lauren Hardy are your heroes. All of a sudden, it's fun to be alive. It's a joy to be a part of the family of God because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then he gives you the peace that passeth all understanding. And there you have it. There were 14. Pastor Ronald said, don't tell you there were 14 because you would freak out, but I'm not going to share all 14. But in... 59 years of life and 35 years of serving the Lord, 34 years of ministry, there's something that I had to learn to do, and that was to shake it off. I had to shake it off. If you live by the opinions of others, you're going to be a sorry, miserable wretch. Because one moment, you're a hero, and the next moment, you're a heel. When Paul gave instruction about saving the crew, the crew was saved. Not one life was lost. From the wreckage, they started a fire. A lot of times, the things in your past that you try to restore can hurt you. Am I talking to anybody in this house? 
There are some relationships that were not meant to be restored. There are some doors that weren't meant to be opened. There are some paths that weren't meant to be revisited. There's some things you've got to forget the things which are behind and reach forward. But the wreckage of the ship, from that wreckage, they took wood and built a fire. And you know the story, a snake came out of the fire and bit Paul. Well, 20 minutes earlier, he was their hero. He was wonderful. Now they say he's of the devil because the snake bit him. But you notice what he did? He simply shook the snake off, and it fell in the fire. That's, that's a good place for it to fall. Shook the snake off, and 20 minutes later, after he wasn't dead, you know they said? He's a god. So he went from hero to heel to devil to God. I mean, how quickly... People's opinion can change. I, I'll watch the Obama ratings. One day they're here, the next day they're here. Our nation is so inconsistent. We are such a freaked out generation. But you just come to a place in your life where you got to shake it off. Transmission falls out of your car, shake it off. Wife won't pay alimony, shake it off. Kids don't give you birthday cards, shake it off. I mean, I mean the, the, the old cliche, water on a duck's back, that would mean absolutely nothing to you unless you were with me last week when it was 14 degrees. 14 degrees, and the lake at the church, at the ranch, was frozen, and there were these geese walking on the ice. I mean, how cool is that? They were walking on, technically, they were walking on water. And then all of a sudden, one of them kind of fell in a hole, and I saw this, this, this splashing going on, and this goose just shook all the water off of, off of, off of her, I'm assuming it was her off, of her, off of her back like nothing had ever happened. You've got to get to a place where your heart is soft as better <coughs> and your skin is tough as a crocodile. You've got to learn. The, 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 the opinion of others are usually lousy. The thoughts of others and what they think about you and your future are usually lousy. And usually it's your mama or your family that thinks you can't arrive and you can't be what God wants you to be. Shake it off. Look at somebody say, just, just shake it off and find out what the Word of God has to say about you. And I, I will not even go there today because that's um, a lot of stuff. I, I, I put down here, operate in the power of forgetting. God does not have Alzheimer's or, or any of those diseases, but God chooses to forget the mistakes that we've made. He it's a decision he makes. Here's what he does. He takes your sins and he separates them from you as far as the east is from the west. And then he throws them in the ocean of forgetfulness. And then he puts up a sign and says, no fishing. And when you go to God and say, well, God, don't you remember how I messed up on my first marriage? He said, no. Well, God, don't you remember how I kind of abandoned my children? He said, no. Well, God, don't you remember how I slapped my dog and cussed my... He said, no, you don't understand. The blood of my son has removed those memories from me, and now the only things I think towards you are plans to prosper you and plans to bless you and the plans to see a wonderful end. That's the thoughts I have for you. Listen, if you can't think your own thoughts about yourself... Find out what God is thinking about you. Find out what God is saying about you and start thinking and declaring those things and see what a difference it makes in your life. Right below that, forgetting and forgiving are kissing cousins. They can never be separated, divided, or divorced. You will come to a place in your life and, and unfortunately, it's not a season. There are seasons when things will happen to you by other people, 
other circumstances, other things, and it might even be someone that you highly respect. It might be a pastor. It might be a peer, a mentor, a friend, a, a, a husband or a wife. But there are wounds that are going to be put upon you and placed upon you that you've got to come to a place in your life where you say, I forgive you. Whether you're asking for my forgiveness or not, it's not important that you ask for my forgiveness. It's important that I give you the forgiveness because when I give you the forgiveness, then God forgives me. And when you hear someone say, I'll never forgive him, I'll never forgive her. Begin to pray for that person because that's a very dangerous area of life that you would decide not to do what God told you to do so that you sow that, you reap that. If you sow forgiveness, you reap forgiveness. But if you don't, if you don't sow forgiveness, then you can't reap it. And the word of God says that sin separates us from God. And if you're not forgiven, then you're walking in a place of sin that will eventually destroy you and your mindset. Very important to forgive others. Secondly, you need to learn to forgive yourself. There's the opposite side of bad stuff where you've had bad stuff done to you. It's when you have done bad stuff to others. And you know you have. There are some things that cannot be restored. There are some things that cannot be fixed. There are some words that have caused such pain and such wounds that they're there. And no matter what we try to do to make it right, it never gets right. No matter what we say, what we do, what we speak, what we sing, what we quote, what we, what we confess, it's like it's there. You've got to come to a place in your life where you forgive yourself for your mess-ups and hang-ups and frustrations. You have to. You have to see yourself the way that God sees you, and as you realize how God sees you, then for you to be what God wants you to be, you got to quit disqualifying yourself and beating yourself up for bad decisions. Maybe you married the wrong person, but God has the ability to turn it around. Maybe you invest in the wrong things, but God has the ability to turn it around. I remember in my life in that, in that season of, of rebellion, I remember when, uh, when we began to... Uh, experiment with, with pot, and uh, my, my cousin was quite a bit younger than I was, and I remember taking my cousin with me and uh, showing him how to smoke his first joint, and uh, years went by, 30 years went by, and uh, he became horrifically hooked on cocaine and became an alcoholic and uh, just pretty much partied all night, then, then worked, took drugs the next day to work, and then partied all night. And so through that season of when I was traveling the nation, anytime someone would say, do you have a special unspoken request, I would always lift my hand because I wanted my cousin to find God because I'm the one that opened the door to, to, to get him on drugs. And it, it, it beat me up. Robbie, it, it tore me up that my influence influenced my cousin to such a degree that he went beyond the marijuana and went into the coke and went into that journey. And about four years ago, my, unc, my, my cousin was gloriously saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, given his heart to God, and he's traveled three or four places to hear me preach. And he, he's, he loves the Lord, his family loves the Lord, and he's a, he's, a, he, he's a great guy. But his younger brother, we were, all, we, were all, we were all drinking beer and all drinking Jack Daniels, but when, my, when his younger brother Mark turned 21, the night he turned 21, I took him and bought his first drink. 
And it wasn't that he wasn't drinking. It wasn't that he was, he was already experimenting a little bit. But I bought him his first legal drink. And today, my, my cousin is an alcoholic. My cousin, uh, every evening, goes in the garage and, and, and drinks. That's, that's what he does. So now, I have another special unspoken request. I want him to give his heart to the Lord and follow Jesus. But you know what I had to do? I had to forgive myself for extending that marijuana, for, for buying that beer. I had to forgive myself or I was going to walk in guilt, condemnation, shame the rest of my life. Can anybody relate? So maybe there's some things in your life you're beating yourself up. Well, I never should have done that. I should have never married again. I never should have done this. Never should have done that. Look, they're all under the blood. And, and, and the Lord doesn't remind you of them. He reminds you of good stuff he has for you. Start thinking what God thinks. Start saying what God says and see if there's not a change in your life. And again, it starts with shaking it off. I'm shaking that off. I'll, I'll cover one more thing and then we'll all go to Cracker Barrel. Sound good, Donnie? I love Donnie. I love Pastor Todd. I love Chris. I love Mark. I love Keith. I'll, I'll get in trouble here and start naming all the guys. It's fun to look back and reflect and see who your real friends are. There's just something about that taste. There's something about, you know, people say, I'll drink the Kool-Aid. I'll, I'll walk a I'll walk a thousand, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that. And then when the storm comes, it's like, eh, they're out of here. They don't want to be attached to a rumor. They don't want to be attached to a reputation. They don't want to be attached to a challenge. They bail. They bail. They just abandon you. But there are those that God raises up in your life that they're like patri patriarchs, matriarchs. They're, they're solid as a rock. They're there. They don't believe the rumors. They don't believe the... And there are those that would say... I don't care if what they're saying about you is true. I still have your back. Right. Now, how cool is that? And that's what this house has been to Pastor Ron and I. And let, let me tell you something about the favor and the blessing of God. I, I want to look at your neighbor and say this. Learn how, Learn how to, mark to mark and honor, and honor the, Johns the Johns in your life. You ready? At Calvary, all the disciples fled except for John. John was there, went in the temple when he was beaten. He was there at the whipping post. He was there at the cross. Seven things Jesus said from the cross. Two of those statements, he had looked at his mom, and he said, Mom, behold your son, pointing to John. And then he looked at John, and he said, John, Behold your mother. Of all the things that Jesus could have said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished. Of all those great statements, great themes of the cross, why those two? Because in the generation of Abraham, in the generation of David, and in the generation of Jesus, the oldest son got a double portion. When dad died and the inheritance was divided, the older son got twice as much as any of the other children. The reason being, it was the responsibility of the oldest son, if dad died, to take care 
of mom. Watch this close. Loyalty, friendship, affection, trust, confidence that you have. Jesus was the oldest son. History says his father had died several years earlier. Had two or three brothers that we know of. We know he had at least three brothers that we know of. It was responsibility of Jesus to take care of Mary because dad was gone. So what Jesus did, he transferred his responsibility to John and said, John, you're now the elder son. You take care of mom. You, you make sure that she's provided for. Watch this. You ready for this? All the other disciples were murdered with the exception of John. John survived being boiled in oil, exiled on an island, wrote four books, the book of, five books altogether, the book of Revelation, died of old age. Why? Because Jesus put a mark on him. Jesus favored him. Jesus honored his stability, honored his faithfulness, honored the fact that John did not abandon Jesus when Jesus really needed a friend. And I'm telling you, there are people in your life that will not abandon you. They don't care what the past says. They don't care what your mistakes are. They don't care. They don't care if you're messed up right now, make mistakes. They're there in your life and not, not going anywhere. And that's what you call. Are you ready? You sure? BFF. BFF. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. Bringing people into your life that you can bless them, you can practice on them, they can bless you, they can practice on you. My 14th point, I skipped about seven. How'd I do? And I believe this is kind of a, probably kind of the heart of a pastor, probably kind of the heart of an older brother, kind of the heart of, of, of an evangelist. I wrote this down, and I think it's important. Decide determine and purpose to be the solution to someone's problem. As we live our life through the week, as we live our, our life through this year, open the door for God to bring people into your life. Not that will drain you, not that will frustrate you, not that will wear you out, but people that are genuinely awesome, they just need a helping hand. They just need a kind word, a cup of coffee, a phone call, a text. Help them in some area of their life, but make up your mind to be a solution to somebody's problem, and let's see if 2014 is not the year of double honor, double blessing. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this house?